Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hey there. I want to play something for you that I really enjoyed. Some stand-up comedy. Also, I think they went about masks the wrong way. They were like, wear a mask, save somebody else. No, no, we are very selfish people. They should have been like, if you think you're pretty, you'll wear a mask. (laughs) Only cute people wear masks. If you a cutie with a booty, you'll wear a mask. That brilliant mask policy comes from Nicole Byer in her new Netflix special, BBW, or Big Black Weirdo, which is out now. Because the ugliest motherfuckers didn't want to wear the mask. No. They were like, what about my civil liberties? I first discovered Nicole by way of Nailed It, which is this hilarious baking show on Netflix where bakers often make the most disastrous but well-intended confections. The show is big-hearted and funny, and as an avid baker, I can absolutely relate to kitchen disasters. When baking and cake decorating go wrong, my God, they go terribly wrong. And I've been catching her in a new NBC show, Grand Crew, about a group of friends, the wine bar they frequent, and the ups and downs of their lives. It's funny and warm, and Nicole just shines. Her humor is incisive and relevant, but she never demeans herself to make a point. And right now, it's wonderful to see a talented Black woman on the come up. I'm excited to see what she does next, and I hope that you check out some of her work. From Luminary, welcome to my new podcast, The Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams. I am, well, Roxanne Gay. At the top of every episode, I'm going to share something that's on my mind or that I'm enjoying. I just want to get us started off on the right foot. We are recording in mid-January. It is cold and it is gloomy almost everywhere, including California. We are still inexplicably neck deep in a pandemic, which is stretching out into a third year. With the Omarion, I mean, Omicron variant, it feels like people are burrowing back into their homes while we wait to see what terrible thing is going to happen next. I've actually started to become a bit of a prepper, which is absolutely a sentence I never thought I would say, but one night I woke up and thought I need a satellite phone. Alas, here we are. But the new year is still fresh, and right now I want to talk about new beginnings. For example, I have this new podcast. Every week on the Roxanne Gay Agenda, I'm going to lay out my agenda for all of you. That is to say, I'm going to speak my mind about what's on my mind, and that could be almost anything. Each week, I'm also going to be in conversation with an interesting person. We're going to talk about feminism, race, writing, books, art, food, pop culture, and yes, politics. We can't escape that. So, welcome to the Roxanne Gay Agenda. Please make yourself at home. In another new beginning, I'm starting a new job as the president's professor at Occidental College in Los Angeles. 
I missed teaching, so I'm excited to get back in the classroom after two years away, but I've never taught during a pandemic, so I'm also a little nervous. I don't want to die for my job. And I guess we will see what happens next. In some ways, that problem has been solved, at least temporarily, because our semester start date has been pushed back by a week, and at least the first week of classes are going to be held online. I'm no stranger to teaching online, so it should be fine, but I'm well aware that online learning is not conducive to every student, and so I'm hoping for the best while preparing for really the worst, because lately that seems like the only thing we can do. I'm going to be teaching one class a semester at Occidental, and this semester I'm teaching my workshop on writing trauma once more, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how students choose to engage with this topic. And it's going to be exciting to get back in the classroom and just honestly to have somewhere to go once a week. As I mentioned earlier, on the Roxanne Gay Agenda, I'm going to be in conversation with really interesting people. And today I am speaking with a woman who absolutely needs no introduction. You know her as the co-host of the previous iteration of this podcast, Here to Slay. Yes, it's the one, the only, Tressie McMillan Cottom, brand new dog owner. Tressie. Ah, oh, it's Kirby. Oh my God. You can have them for a dollar. You don't even have to call before you come. No Girl. need to ask about the doggy in the window. He is mm. for sale. You just mm-hmm. show on up. I'll give you Kirby. <laughs> I'll give you all of Kirby's stuff. You can just take Kirby with you. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Listen, when I saw that you got a dog, I just thought, what is happening? The world is coming to an end. Listen, there's a 50-50 chance of this whole thing working out. Let's just be very clear. Yes. I did not go into this with uh, my eyes closed or with rose-tinted glasses. I understood that puppies were a lot of work. I understood that I would be turning my life over to this creature for a little while. But I did make some requests that were supposed to make that transition easier. I asked Mm -hmm. Roxanne for a lazy dog. Amen. I was very clear. Mm -hmm. Getting a dog is not the time to lie about who you are. I am lazy. (laughs) I wanted a lazy dog. Mm -hmm. And they assured me because of the pandemic, I couldn't go see him before I picked him up. But they assured me. That, oh, this is, he just sits over there in the corner, doesn't really play with his litter mates. He's so chill. I said, great, I'll take that one. Mm-hmm. Roxanne. That boy doesn't sit in the corner at all for you, this, does this he? This thing is not chill. This is not a chill creature. Okay. But he's so cute. Oh, my gosh. I, if you guys follow Trezzy on Instagram, which you should, it, it's like a little ball of fur. He's absolutely a ridiculous thing to exist, isn't he? He's about mm. four pounds now. Uh, so he's got his weight up, as we might say. And mm. uh, he is stubborn. He is too smart mm-hmm. for his own good. He's fearless. He mm-hmm. jumps off chairs and mm-hmm. uh, he goes outside. He's like, no, let's go over there. You know, and he doesn't belong over there because he is only four Uh, he tells me when he's ready to play which listen that's not how this works no okay no uh so he's headstrong he is stubborn uh he is fearless all to say he's nothing at all like me (laughs) no i mean what would you know about being headstrong and fearless and stubborn absolutely i wanted a nice lazy shy retiring dog and that is not what i got (laughs) So does Max need a playmate? 
He does. You know, it's funny you should say that. I never thought I would think this, but he's been like kind of down in the dumps lately. And I, I don't know why. And, you know, with people who have too much time and probably too much money, like I'm trying to like solve this problem. And I keep thinking, I think Max needs a puppy. What's his. So how is this manifest when he's down in the dumps? Normally, he's very active. He's all around. He's jumping up and down and being super puppy like. Mm -hmm. And. Now he's just sort of lethargic and he'll play with us, certainly, mm -hmm. but he just spends a lot of time lying down, but his eyes are open. Yeah. Like every time you look at him, he's just staring at you into your soul. Is he lethargic like, or is he plotting your demise? It could be either <laughs> one. And I'm not entirely sure, but I, I'm, I'm concerned. Either way, maybe what? a friend would distract him. What made you change your mind? Well, I've been researching it. You know, I go through these cycles uh, mm. of researching and thinking about it, which is how I do every decision. By the time yes. I buy anything or commit to anything, I've usually been thinking about it for ages. And so I'd cycle mm. in and each time I'd cycle through, there was just no way my life could accommodate it. I thought this it would be unfair to live the kind of life that I lead on the road, teaching, writing all night and have a dog. And so usually it would boil down to it wouldn't be fair to the dog. A couple months ago, though, Roxanne, it became clear we're never leaving. We're never leaving. No, we're not. This is it. Like, yep. we, this is I mean, I hope you have a comfortable home. Yeah, because this because you're you're in it. Right. And it was mm -hmm. clear to me that we were reentering another phase of the pandemic that is possibly more isolating than the earlier ones because you can see other people making different choices, right? And somehow yes. that makes it more isolating when you decide not to make those choices. And I thought, well, I'm at home. I am on sabbatical for my day job as a professor for the next uh, like nine months. So I wasn't going <sighs> into the office. I am focusing on writing a book and some other writing projects, but those are things I mostly do at home. I thought if mm -hmm. I don't do it now, I won't do it until I'm like 70, right? Like this was it for me as a yes. <laughs> as a somewhat young-ish adult person. If I was going to be like able-bodied and awake to play with the dog. And then the way I always make every major life decision at 2 a.m., I just mm -hmm. I just press the button. And mm -hmm. so here we are. And he showed up a few here days later. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year. Equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. 
Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I, I see him in little outfits. So how extensive is his wardrobe? Okay, so I have not bought that dog an outfit. Let me tell you what happened, Roxanne. Okay? Let me explain. You know I'm what happened. So thrilled. You know what I happened. I am so thrilled by all of this. So, my mother, can I contain yourself? So, you need to know a couple of things about Vivian. Mm-hmm. One, mm-hmm. you need to know this is the most unsentimental woman on the face of God's green earth. My mother mm, was a mother anymore. who would get your little homemade cards from kids that you're supposed to keep. Not my mama. <laughs> She didn't even wait for me to leave the room before she'd be like, that's nice. And we'll put it on top of the garbage can, you know, so you know that you know, we're not keeping this. There aren't tons of like all of Tressie's awards or accolades around. No, mama can take it or leave it. She saw this damn dog. Could not contain herself. She was on the road mm-hmm. to my house within a couple of days. The other thing you need to know is all my life, my mother doesn't like dogs, is a little afraid mm-hmm. of them. Same. Kirby apparently isn't a dog. I don't know what he is. He's a child. Yes. Yes. That's her grandbaby. She came and quote unquote babysat for Mm -hmm. a few days, which was actually quite helpful because I went to sleep. Uh, So she took care of Kirby. (laughs) When she was here, she started buying him things every day. She'd get up and run out to the store, she'd tell me. Mm. She came back with sweaters. She came back with a Mm. Santa outfit. Christmas is over. Okay, <laughs> but she says Christmas comes again next year and we'll be it ready does. again. If Max needs a playmate, I'll pay for the ticket. Oh, yay. Because <laughs> I think he does. And Kirby's cute. But I know you have another change in your life. Less significant, of course, and certainly less important. But <laughs> you are now a New York Times contributing opinion writer. With oh, a yeah. Newsletter. Yes. Yes. So I let's talk about it. Uh, let's talk about it. So what are we doing over there? Who the heck knows? You know, most of the time, I, you know, I have a thing. I don't really write to an audience. 
mm-hmm. care about the audience and I treat them like adults and I try to give them the best that I've got, but I don't really think about them. So in my mind, I don't so much write for the New York Times every week. So much as I sit down, I put some words on <laughs> a document and then I send it into the ether. I'm as surprised as everybody when it publishes. But yes, it runs every Monday now. We just changed the date because I didn't like Fridays. Mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a diva that way. Um, mm-hmm. I told them I'm not a news dump kind of girl. I don't like Fridays. So we moved it to Mondays. You can start your week uh, with a newsletter from me uh, at the New York Times. And I occasionally fill in for some people doing some other stuff. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but my main focus there right now is to build a conversation about the things that I wish people were talking about in the way I wish they would talk about them. So like right now we're talking Mm -hmm. about scams in American culture. We're talking about how our institutions have gotten so fragile and so weak. How are we in a pandemic and the government can't figure out how to send you a damn test? I don't understand that. Listen, when Joe Biden told people to Google how to get an at-home test, I realized, you know, we, you and I have both said this often that no one is coming to save us. That's right. That's right. And I think a lot of us have understood that, but only some of us have the means to save ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so when he said that, I really just thought, oh, this pandemic is never ending. That's right. That's right. Ever. Yeah, we've turned it over. We've turned over the entire functioning of civic institutions in this country to private industry and a handful Mm -hmm. of private industry uh, uh, corporations at that Google. Facebook, Mm -hmm. a couple security firms, a couple of gas companies, right? We've just sort of turned it over. Mm -hmm. And when things are kind of okay, you can make do with that. But things aren't okay. No, not at all. The scale of our problems is a government problem. And it looks like the government has decided it's not even going to try to pretend to be a government. The other thing that struck me was when Biden said, we can't handle the pandemic at the federal level, Mm -hmm. which, sir, Mm -hmm. you have an entire military, you have an entire government with trillions of dollars at your disposal. I'm pretty sure you can handle this, but that it was going to be handled at the state level. And all of the states are saying it's going to be handled at the community level. Mm -hmm. And so from education all the way to vaccination, to test distribution Mm and and really all of the components of trying to handle the pandemic are being handled in literally a thousand different ways. Mm-hmm. It, it's here's the thing. And then, and, you know, and some people made a comment about, oh, he was just doing the pandering a president does to mayors and governors. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that may be true. But here's what I know. I know that when the federal government decides, for example, that something is so vital to the security and welfare of the United States of America that they uh, should care about it and they should invest in it. They will do anything. They will do mm-hmm. anything. Absolutely anything. Have, I mean, look what they did with the PPP thank loans. Thank you. We didn't even have a direct threat after 9-11, for example. And when suddenly we're able to marshal every resource available, right, to mm-hmm. make it happen, the federal government can do whatever it wants. It will then be sued by the states. But guess what you do? You do what needs to be done and then let this... Let the state sue you. By the time it makes its way through the courts, people's lives would have been saved. Absolutely. Right? And we would have all moved on. That's exactly it. Let the litigation work its way out. Yes, the Supreme Court is hostile, which don't get us started on that. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, the circuit uh, uh, courts are hostile. 
but you save people's lives, make their lives better in the short term, and you clean up the mess later. What's the saying? Uh, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Uh, yes, indeed. Yeah. And it seems like this administration is desperately waiting for permission yeah. to cancel student loans, mm-hmm. to address inflation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I keep thinking, you're never going to get that permission. That's right. Not because people don't want to give it, but because the loudest voices in the room mm-hmm. are hell-bent on denying everyone yeah. really the access that they need to resources to live better lives. Mm-hmm. It's kind of grotesque. You know, speaking of our elected officials, I really enjoyed the newsletter you wrote. Well, it was a series of newsletters about Kristen Cinema and the slick, the... <laughs> The signals her clothing made. I'm glad you and enjoyed I it because homegirl didn't. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I mean, she, <laughs> I, I, from what I can tell, she really got irked. But that, you know why she got irked? Because yeah. you were right. Yeah. And she knew she was called out. Uh-huh. And for those of you who have not yet read this essay, you absolutely, or well, it's a series of essays, but you have to read them because she talks about, Tressie talks about the sartorial choices that Kristen Cinema makes and that it's a very specific type of wealthy, thin, white woman, pretty privilege. Mm-hmm. Well, pretty is subjective. It's but so subjective. Privilege, <laughs> I, I don't find her I was about to say, uh, attractive a, at all. I'm going to walk a fine line here, but let's just say that privilege is very subjective in the senator's case. It is. Yeah. And, and that's okay. Yeah. We don't all need to be God's beautiful children. That's but right. she thinks she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And like, bless her heart. But... It's interesting. She, you know, when she, especially when she wore the denim jacket, that for me just sent me over the edge mm-hmm. because I just thought, wow, you were, you were literally doing casual Friday in yes. the Senate. Yes. And you can. No one's going to call you out yeah. on it. And in fact, the media is going to just slobber all over mm-hmm. you. Like, look, she's being so edgy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, look, she's denying us the right to vote. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Let me tell you how many staffers I had contact me on the sly saying, Mm -hmm. I have been threatened with expulsion from the Senate for not wearing pantyhose. I Mm -hmm. run the risk of being fined or sanctioned if I show up and I'm not wearing um, a suit jacket. I, you know, mm-hmm. the rules that apply to everybody else who comes. Now, we may say the, the rules are archaic and sexist mm-hmm. and classist, and they are. But Absolutely. if you're going to ignore the rules for your own individual benefit, she doesn't ignore the rules to make a case for her constituents. Mm-hmm. Right. That's no. what like black politicians and other queer politicians have done before, which is we show up in our regalia to make the case that, hey, we belong here, too. But that's not what Miss Thing is doing. Miss Thing is no, just showing up and trying to capture all of the cameras. She's an attention hog. She has a a, a need, a void mm-hmm. inside her, and she seems to thrive on all the attention. And unfortunately, we have an absolutely absurd media that is more than willing it, yep. to give her that attention she so desperately needs. Mm-hmm. And it creates this situation where nobody is willing to critically engage with her. And, you know, I can understand why she would have bristled at your work because it was so explicitly and correctly calling her out. But you would think that she would want to be taken seriously. Aha. And want to be critically engaged with. No, she doesn't, right? This to me Mm -mm. was the tale. So I wrote, I think it was three or four essays about this. And I talked to experts and did uh, basically an analysis of her media image. 
her presentation mm-hmm. uh, as politics and what that means for the context that produced her, which is Arizona, um, and what she was trying to communicate. And it mattered for two reasons. One, it's not like cinema gives interviews. So she doesn't have her own, like, on-the-record statement, right? She's not making an affirmative Uh case for what she wants, what she believes in, how she's going to vote. So she really kind of eschews the media other than trying to get her picture taken, right? She doesn't Uh give good substantive interviews. So you got, like, this vacuum that she's created. That's by her design, Mm-hmm. And then, she's like the Beyonce of the Senate. Girl, I said that to my editor at one point. I was like, you know, the only other person who has been so good at doing that that I could think of is Beyonce. I was talking mm-hmm. with some editors about, you know, uh, one of the people I might consider interviewing in the future. And I was like, Beyonce is a horrible interview subject unless and until she's ready to just go ham because she's going to yes. give you nothing. And yeah, and cinema's mm-hmm. the same way, going to give you nothing. So what she's presenting matters all the more because she doesn't say anything meaningful. And it became really clear to me in writing those pieces, the one that bothered her the most was the third one. And I think this mm-hmm. bothered her because we were talking about her cl- the social class, mm-hmm. the class presentation of what she was doing. And that's when I got a real clue, especially, you know, they reached out to us, her people, very angry, very pissed. I've got wonderful email threads uh, from the senator's staffers, and they are just so not good at it. Because they told mm-hmm. everything. You know, one of those, like, you catch a man cheating. Yep. They just tell Tells on himself. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what really bothered her was the idea that she could not afford better. And that gave me a clue as to what she mm. thinks she's doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. manipulating the media, using her media image as cover for her bad politics by trying mm-hmm. to say, I'm so vulnerable because look at me, Right. I'm doing the best mm-hmm. I can with what, with what I've got. And once you puncture that, there is nothing serious beneath it. So, no, she doesn't want to be taken seriously because I think fundamentally she doesn't have anything really serious to say. I would agree. And I I, I can see why she would bristle or take offense oh, honey, to, pissed. to that analysis. Whew. But, you know, the truth hurts. And I, I mean, most of us hate being confronted with painful truths about ourselves. But most but of us can, don't like, run for develop Senate. A politic. <laughs> Right. Like we're smart enough to not put ourselves in that position. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is an opportunity like for growth. She could really take this moment and just sit with it and develop some politics, Mm -hmm. develop some policy ideas of substance or stop just being an obstacle to progress. Mm -hmm. But no, she's going to just continue like forcing her... I mean, I kind of feel bad for those staffers who Ooh, are like being forced. They were to send, clear, like, yeah, they were. They had clearly angels. been held to task, right? They had clearly been mm-hmm. called on the carpet by her uh, <laughs> because they. I mean, I mean, eight a day, right? They just, I mean, they were firing them off like crazy everywhere they could find me. They were leaving messages everywhere that they could think to leave them, and it was clearly because she Wait, was like that angry. Telephone messages? Oh yeah, oh yeah, girl. Because they were clearly oh, that angry, um, and mm-hmm. it was again a very interesting window and. In how she manages her team, what she ultimately cares about. I, I pointed out her um, her yearly income, which uh, most candidates have to report on. Um, well, all candidates are supposed to report. And they don't all report it honestly. Uh, it says, you know, she's not one of the wealthier people in uh, Congress. And uh-huh. she, I think that really explains a lot of how she politics. She's uh-huh. She is, by congressional standards, broke. Yeah. And she don't want to be broke. 
Mm-mm. No, she clearly and, doesn't yes, want to be and broke. And I mean, making a play. I get that. Yeah. I do get class driving. Yeah. I, I get it intimately. And, you, you know, there are some extraordinarily wealthy people in the Senate. And I can imagine that the senators who don't have, you know, like Nancy Pelosi's, what, $200 million? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or even like tens of millions or millions, mm-hmm. you know, those senators who are just sort of really relying on that Senate paycheck. Yes. Yeah must really suffer not for it's not even class envy but this need to feel like one of the gang when you are so clearly yeah. not she's basically the, the scholarship kid she's the financial aid kid at mm. harvard yeah you know and you know those institutions always do everything they can to right. remind you of your place yep. and i have no doubt that happens in the senate oh absolutely. I, and i'm not gonna cry for her i was about to say i am her, empathetic but... but not sympathetic because she uses no, it same. for nefarious ends but i suspect it's actually brutal showing up at a place that is as steeped in wealth and privilege uh, as Congress is. I mean, you've got legacies. You've got people who are third, mm-hmm. fourth generation. Uh, you've got people who disproportionately come from elite schools and you show up with like your state degree and <laughs> coming from like a Mormon background, a very mm-hmm. conservative culture that isn't from the East Coast or the West Coast. You have no family connections or money and you show up and you wear a jean vest uh, to preside over the U.S. Senate. I mean... Yeah, they give her hell. Yeah. Let's be. <laughs> From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. <laughs> Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. 
Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. I know you're not only writing for the New York Times. Uh, the other day, you published a really extraordinary and well-researched and just, I really enjoyed it, great essay on Black country music. Ah, uh, thank you, girl. In the Undefeated. And I loved just, I loved seeing how in-depth you got. And so I encourage everyone to read it, and we'll put the links to these essays in the show notes. Uh, but one of the things she writes about is attending eight Jason Isbell shows in Nashville. Yeah. And really getting to know some of these black women who are really the current vanguard of country mm-hmm. music and what they're up against. So what was that like? Cause I know that you went to Nashville, mm-hmm. you stayed in a hotel, you brought your team. Yeah. It was just a, a, a an event. Yeah. And <laughs> it was a Tressy Palooza. Like? It was a Tressy Palooza, right? It really yeah. was. And in the best way. So the people who follow me for a long time know that my assistant and project manager, Lauren has been with me for uh, many years. Uh, I have a a, a marketing uh, consultant, uh, Sarah, came with me. Um, my longtime editor, uh, Kira, came with me. Brought another one of um, an assistant who was working with me on the project, and we said, "Listen, if we were going to do this, this is one of those things that I love doing." So you and I, you know, we've talked about it on the show before. We've had Reese Palmer on the show, and we've talked about mm-hmm. Black women trying to create art in spaces that are really hostile to them. And country music is a very, let's be clear, it's like a middle brow popular culture. And so because of that, it doesn't get a lot of serious engagement, right? We just don't take it as seriously as we do like rock music, um, Mm -hmm. more elite um, middle brow sort of um, popular culture. And we really don't take the women seriously and forget about taking black women seriously, Mm-hmm. And so Jason Isbell is this country, alt-country folk superstar. He's a celebrity by all measures. And uh, he was having a show at the Ryman Theater there in Nashville, which is like the home of country music. It's very sacred and important. Playing your first show at the Ryman is, you know, like, you know, losing your virginity in the industry. <laughs> and he's going to do this eight-night residency. And of the eight nights, all of his opening acts are women. The first night, uh, Amanda Shire opens. Amanda is both his wife and a a creative um, artist in her own right. And then the other seven nights were all Black women. Several of them, queer Black women, all of them, you know, young, hungry, talented Black women who had country albums out in the last year. And like, that was a big deal. Country music stages don't have a lot of Black people and they really don't have a lot of Black women. Mm Mm-hmm. And since I couldn't decide which show I wanted to go to, I decided to go to all of them. And then I said, well, it was during my birthday season. So I decided to make it partly a birthday excursion. So, yeah, we hit a uh, we set up shop um, 
at a wonderful hotel. If y'all are ever in Nashville, uh, the Hutton is really, really cool and beautiful and accessible. Uh, and so I met with the women, went to the shows, hung out in Nashville, both Black Nashville and White Nashville, because mm-hmm. they ain't the same thing. No, uh, never <laughs> And hung out with the women, talked to Jason Isbell, talked about why he would platform Black women at this moment. Because there's a lot happening over there. Listen, anytime mm-hmm. you watch the news and white folks are having sit-ins, at the mall food court because they don't want to wear a mask. You know, white people have mm-hmm. gone crazy. Oh, they have. Right. They absolutely have. Yep. Things are not good yep. in the land of whiteness right now. And in the land of whiteness, country music is still king. Yes. White people listen to country music, honey. So if the if the white people are going crazy at the mall, they are listening to country music on the way there. And so being a black woman... <laughs> At this moment <laughs> of white nonsense, peak white nonsense, and you're trying to play country music, mm-hmm. they are brave and they're fearless and they're good and they're creative and they're amazing. Uh, and it was really an honor to talk to them and, uh, and write about them. How did this happen? Out of nowhere? You just refer to someone with a racial slur? No, I, I, I don't think it was just, it just happened. You know, I was around some of my friends and, and you know, we just... We stay, we stay dumb stuff together. Now, speaking of sacred places in country music, yeah. uh, the Grand Ole Opry and mm-hmm. Morgan Wallen, N-word enthusiast. Mm-hmm. I don't think that anyone expected that there would be continued backlash, but it looks like people are still like, no, he's not in the club again yep. yet. I mean, he's been in the club. He's been fine. He's been selling millions of albums. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, getting the support of all of the people who are also N-word enthusiasts and mm-hmm. don't want to be called out for That's it. That's right. But what did you think about bringing Morgan Wallen back on stage at the Opry? And what does that mean to all of these black women mm-hmm. in the business who have been working so hard and managed to do so without sort of embarrassing themselves exactly. or the genre? The idea that you can't be a country music star or a star, period. And listen... Morgan Wallen was on track to become like a star star. I think it's really important for people to realize right before he gets drunk and starts shouting out the N-word, like, you know, he go way back. Uh, and he don't go way back. <laughs> that boy don't go way back to nowhere. It's not like he grew up. There's some people who can kind of borderline get away with you can see how they could be confused. You know, if you grew up in the hood and like right. you were, that ain't that boy. That's a country redneck boy by his own self-identification with a mullet. Ain't no white mm. boy with no mullet got a pass. Nowhere. Nope. Okay. So Morgan Wallen does not have a pass. He's not even like black adjacent. And he goes and gets caught getting drunk and doing what like rednecky white boys do these days. You know, it's mm-hmm. cool and radical to shout out the N-word and say all the stuff. Okay. Say all the bad words. And like, you know, overnight, because this is, you know, during the Black Lives Matter backlash, he's like a race from country radio and the award season and all that. But listen, country fans, those same white people who are mad and going to the mall playing country music on the way, they love that boy. Mm -hmm. They made that album number one. It's like one of the best selling albums of last year. Uh, But the institutions of country music had made a call that said they weren't going to support that kind of thing. Um, And listen, a lot of country music artists are just as conservative as their audience is. Mm -hmm. And there has been a lot of push, not just from the fans, but from inside. You know, the call is coming from inside the house. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really interesting that Morgan Wallen wasn't like officially invited 
to the Opry. He's there as a guest of an artist who brings mm-hmm. him out, right? They're going to back in him. They're going to shoehorn. And I think I think it was Jason Aldean. Was it? No, it wasn't Jason's old coked up looking behind. Uh, I'm sorry. Is that? Yeah. Let's see who, who brought him out. I'm actually going to look, y'all. I'm trying to. I'm going to look it Me up. Me too. I can't believe it's only been Ernest a year since he was somebody. caught on stage. So Ernest, and I just don't know him is the problem. I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. familiar with him. Well, so someone yeah. who... I thought it was a big country star who wasn't no. going to have anything to lose, but apparently not. No, this is Doesn't like matter. a homeboy, right? So this artist, mm-hmm. uh, Ernest, brings him out during his um, Opry set. And it's the way, it's a way to like, yeah, to force him back onto the legitimate country music stage, kind of shove him down the yep. throat of the industry and say it's enough, right? He's been in purgatory enough. A lot of fans are clamoring for it. The problem is the Opry just like the Ryman, just like country music radio, just like Nashville writ large hasn't yet made good on its promise to the black artist mm-hmm. uh, that they made promises to after Wallen uh, was, you know, excommunicated. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be opening up spaces for artists, not just to perform, but to do songwriting, producing like the, the artists in Nashville, probably more than any other place in the country, except for LA are like working artists. There are people there that yes. get up and go to their job as a musician. So when you're cut out of that, that's just like labor market discrimination. Mm-hmm. Not having people in Nashville who can just get up and go to work as a musician. And so those spaces are supposed to be making those opportunities available and they haven't yet. Wallen himself made promises to donate money and do all this and somebody keeps following Not up. Not a penny has left his With wallet. his team. And of course, none of it has happened, right? So doing all of the cosmetic lip service is sort of a thumb in the nose of the whole thing and saying, you know, kind of how dare you. He's got like a, a song out with a rapper, right? He's doing everything to just continually piss people Oof. off. And he's happy about it. Yeah. Like he knows what he's doing. Absolutely. He he he's sort of like doing those little hand signals that the white That's supremacists exactly do to each other on is. TV. Yes. And you know he's dog whistling all over yeah. the place to his people mm-hmm. while sort of pretending like, look at me mm-hmm. doing the right thing. That's exactly what it is. He's doing mm-hmm. the little okay symbol. He doesn't even have like the balls to just come out and say fuck y'all. You know that would actually be kind of rock Which and I roll. Actually wouldn't mind. Yeah. Because when people show who they are, they show who they are Mm -hmm. and then they reap the consequences one way or another or both ways. And that's fine. Don't pretend to be something other than what you are. The haircut already told us who you were. So you don't need to pretend to be otherwise because like you groom it, you groom the mullet, you trim it. You groom the mullet. (laughs) You have made a conscious decision, sir. You're committed to it. So (laughs) we know what else you're committed to. Embrace yourself. It would be rock and roll of him, actually, if he would just say, yeah. It kind of would. And frankly, he would just get even more popular. He really would. He may never be able to perform in sort of the hallowed mm-hmm. stages of Nashville ever again, yep. but he would never want for money. That's right. He would be legend among a huge contingent of the country music audience if he did that, because it would be kind of punk rock of him. But he mm-hmm. doesn't have those balls, right? No, he doesn't have the He's conviction. Again, the man has a mullet. I mean, the mullet really explains yeah. everything yeah. in every direction. Yeah, the more we and talk about it, the more the mullet is actually yeah. the symbol that matters. Every time know. I see a mullet in the wild, I have to say, I mean, I grew up around a lot of mullets in Omaha. It was, And also, I grew up in the 80s when the mullet was oh, truly, yeah. like, the hairstyle. 
And so I, I, except for him, I have a fondness every time I see it. And I've never seen an unkempt mullet. Yes. People who have mullets, they like condition their hair. <laughs> they comb it. <laughs> they choose, they keep it neatly trimmed. Like they're saying, this is not accidental. Right, it didn't grow right? this way. I am choosing to be business on top party in the back. Don't you forget it. It is, listen, it is a bold person who chooses to be a human chia pet. So, mm-hmm. like, that is already a person who is not willing to be bowed by social convention. So, yeah, <laughs> no, you got to have a little know. respect for that. So, yeah, you know what it is? He hasn't earned the mullet. That's it. You know what? That is it. Yeah. He's wearing it because he thinks that makes him, like, authentic. Yes. And sort of down home. Mm-hmm. Aw, shucks. I have a couple trucks on some cinder blocks out back. Yeah. I'm one of the people but it's just, no, you're maybe not. That's right. And, you know, you don't come by it honestly. That's right. You don't. It's not an honest mullet. I th- that's mm-hmm. it. You know what? That's exactly what it is. Morgan Wallen hasn't earned his mullet. <laughs> Our work here is done. <laughs> it's so done. <laughs> I could talk to you forever and ever. But as we sort of bring this to a close, what are your hopes for the new year, mm. if any, given that? We had thought we were getting out of prison, but Mm -hmm. not so fast. I hope that on that front, on the pandemic front, I hope that the rest of the world could finally get equitable access to their first round of vaccine before we start handing out like our fourth round here in the United States. Because of in the way that Wallen hasn't earned his mullet, we really haven't earned uh, our scientific advancements because we're not treating them with respect Um, Mm -hmm. And so I hope that for the rest of the world. I really do. And then I hope that we get better treatment. If it is the case that we're not going to be able to control every variant, I hope we get better treatment because until we do, um, we're all going to be imprisoned uh, by um, this virus. Um, Politically, I hope we start to hold to task very seriously politicians who have decided to sell our institutions to the highest bidder. Um, Mm -hmm. because that's really what we're living with right now, institutional atrophy and decay. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is a moment of pause when we could really, really start to claw some of that back. I hope for everybody that you get to get outside in nice weather just as soon as we are able. Winter during COVID has just been the worst. It's not just that like the disease is out there and everybody's failing you, but it's cold and you're locked inside unless you're in California and I already don't trust you people. But the rest of us are like suffering. And so I hope spring <laughs> comes back around as soon as it can. And then, you know, personally, I'm, um, I've am i decided to commit this year to only doing passion projects. I'm only working on things that I'm extremely passionate about. That's the gift Uh, I'm giving myself and I'm really looking forward to unwrapping that gift this year. Well, Tressie, my friend, thank you so much for joining me on the first episode of this podcast. I love the blast. So I get all the news alerts, you you. know, for your name. And of Mm -hmm. course, the old standby, it will never not tickle me. Yesterday, the news alert was the Roxanne homosexual agenda launches. Google Translate. The other day I read a great article about Roxanne Homosexual and I was like, yes, it will never I like her. Fail to, it will never fail to amuse me. So I am forever a fan and so grateful I get to be your friend. Same. Thank you. And our listeners are going to miss you, but 
I know that you're doing exciting things and I am just so thrilled for you to be doing passion projects. That is, that's the dream. May we all find our passion projects this year. Indeed. For all of you listening, you can keep up with me and the podcast on social media. You can find me on Twitter at R-G-A-Y and on Instagram at RoxanneGay74. Our email, if you want to reach us and share feedback or just let us know how you're doing, is RoxanneGayAgenda at gmail.com. From Luminary, the Roxanne Gay podcast is produced by Curtis Fox. Our intern is Yesenia Moreno. Production support is provided by Caitlin Adams. I am Roxanne Gay, your favorite bad feminist. Thank you for listening. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.